Hi, everyone. Welcome to Embracing Change, where we explore how changes in technology and consumer behavior are affecting businesses across industries. I am your host, Gerardo Kerik, and today we're talking about how digital transformation has evolved in the last two decades. My guest is Norman Miglieta, SVP of uh, Marketing at the Connectol. Hi, Norman. How are you? Pleasure to be here, Gerard. Doing well. Thank you. Nice, Thank nice you. For, first well. A uh, sunny day in a while here we've had in Atlanta. I know we're both based out of Atlanta, and it's yeah. a chilly day today. It feels good though. <laughs> it feels it feels good. Though. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much for for making up some time to to spend with us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I I'm very excited about the conversation today because you've had such a varied and and vast experience with different industries. And you've seen you've seen so many evolutions of digital transformation. So I, th I think we're a, a, we're we're in for a very interesting conversation today. Ah, I hope so. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, hey, Norman, maybe you know for the benefit of our of our audience, maybe if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey uh, before we start the conversation. Absolutely. So. You know, I, I've been working in various parts of marketing for uh, well over two decades, not to date myself here, but, you know, it's, I've worked in B2C, I've worked in, you know, and then I shifted over to like digital marketing, but still B2C focus and, and media. And then I've shifted over to B2B um, mm -hmm. marketing and specifically getting into tech. Uh, and just seeing the disruption that these new technologies are enabling in various mm -hmm. industries, Ben, mm -hmm. it's just, that's what's, uh, really excites me. And what's is just always fueled my, my journey, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, something that the audience probably doesn't know is that, uh, you and I work for the same employer for a yeah. couple of years. I mean, we never met when we were working with <laughs> the same employer, but we spent some time in the same company, right? Yes. Turner. Turner and you were with the international group, but I was doing uh, Turner Sports. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. So we, so we ne never, probably we 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 met each other uh, across yeah. corridors, but uh, <laughs> but not a proper introduction. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for being here. Yeah. I think I would like to start from I would like to start from the beginning because when okay. we did our prep uh, our prep talk, yeah. uh, one of the things that uh, I found. Uh, I got very excited actually is the fact that, that that you worked at Subaru yes in the 90s and, and the reason I got very excited is because I'm a Subaru fan okay. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's a it's one of those uh, car companies that create a lot of fandom right yes. and for some reason they you know I'm one of those guys that, that okay. you know got got bitten by that mosquito and <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so I got very excited about it, but also because from a marketing perspective, Subaru in the 90s did things that were very innovative and that really, you know, transformed their future and that, they, you know, they took risks uh, that they really um, had an impact on how brands approach niche marketing, right? Um, Absolutely. So I'd, I'd love you to spend a little bit of time talking about that super experience because I, and, and just for the benefit of the audience i think that niche marketing experience then becomes something that through digital transformation it's exploited and amplified in a very powerful way 
Absolutely. And, and it really, it, it laid the foundation for how I, how I think and how I approach markets. Um, and it's really predicated on the, the base understanding of really understanding your audience. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, you know, I used to joke around with people. It's like when I uh, was running advertising uh, for Subaru, you know, our media budget was a hundred million dollars. People are like, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's great. And I was like, well, let me put that in perspective a little bit. $100 million budget uh, for four car lines for the entire year covering seven basic regions that we, we had broken the country up into. So when you start breaking it down <laughs> by month, by car line, by region, you start to lose, persp- you know, it's just like, okay, it's not as much money. But then to really put things in perspective at the time, remember uh, Honda was spending $100 million on the Civic in one quarter. <laughs> so it's just like, wow. And that's not even talking about the, the big players like the Toyotas and Fords and Chevys of the world, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, we could not sponsor our, our, um, our ability to go head to head with them was just, we can never do it. We just completely lose our voice. So we had to find our voice. So. We had two really um, interesting leaders that I've learned a lot from right from the beginning. Um, Tim Mahoney, who is now actually a CEO of a division of, of, I think it's Chevy actually, and Tim Bennett, uh, they really came up with this niche marketing strategy, really understanding. And so Subaru in the 80s, they used to market, uh, they used to sponsor the US ski team, which is great. Mm -hmm. They had some pretty funny commercials at the time, but Chevy came in and bought up all the rights. A U.S. you know a U.S. car company should you know sponsor the U.S. ski team, which makes sense, right? Makes sense. And but then they just outbid us, so we couldn't do that. But then when we started looking at our audience. We realized, wait a minute, people, Subaru owners, they love skiing, okay, and they they'll watch the Olympics and all those sports and everything, but they're the ones that are out there on the mountain. They're mm-hmm. the doers, right? They're not the TV, TV only watchers. They are committed to watching or to actually getting out on the mountain. So what did we do? We went out and sponsored and created a program called Masters of the Mountain. Mm-hmm. And so then we took it to Subarus and all these ski resorts all around the country. And we sponsored the National Ski Patrol, gave them Subarus to drive up and down or just everywhere, gave... Um, you know, it's a national uh, snowboarding federation because that was a up and coming sport, and that happened to be my passion at the time. I was really into snowboarding, and mm-hmm. so it's just like that's how we started capturing it. And it's an audience. It's like when you go up to the mountains, especially in the Northeast, it would or Colorado or or the, the Pacific Northwest, it was dominated by Subaru cars, and mm-hmm, it was either mm-hmm. big SUVs from all the other makes or all these Subaru cars. It didn't matter what it was. So we got so much more value for the money. The ROI was just fantastic mm-hmm. we were able to do that so we started replicating that in other sports like the canoe association um it, it, you know even the bird association all these different things that it, it just we understood we catered to our audience mm-hmm. in a very 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 specific Niche. and relevant way absolutely and even you know if it, it wasn't just the sporting defending it, it was even a lifestyle right so mm-hmm. and i hate to say lifestyle that's probably absolutely not the right term um, uh, but then going after different segments. So we were one of the first to really, um, 
uh, embraced like the, the rainbow foundation and working with Martina Navratilova, um, mm -hmm. raising awareness at the time and, uh, um, to LVGT rights at the time, it was just a shorter acronym mm -hmm. and it was getting involved in that because why did we do that? Well, we found out that, um, uh, uh, lesbian would uh, were attracted to the Subaru four star in particular because they wanted the SUV with the higher lower step up, and mm -hmm. it just made, it, it catered to them. It's like again, this is based on what we're seeing our audience buy, and but we didn't want to just advertise them. We actually started implementing. We were um, our insurance. We mm -hmm. added partner rights to our marketing because we wanted to be authentic. So oh, if we're gonna, wow. yeah. So we went beyond. We made sure everything that we did was authentic, and that's why if you look at the Subaru advertising now, it's about love and dogs and everything. That's their brand. That's who they are. It's in their DNA, and that's truly who they are. So yeah, but, yeah. You know, and, I you, and, you, and you see that through even when you go to a Subaru dealership, right? Yeah. You know, the yeah. way it's branded, the way it's positioned, it's 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 all consistent and very consistent. very very yeah. very tight. Very very tight. But. But the, the, the lesson I learned there really was understanding your audience, really, and, and that's the, the, the foundation for everything you do. Make sure you truly understand your audience. You know, I, you know, I talked about it, it's like I had spent a week in a dealership. And at the time when I first started at Subaru, I was doing research and it was based on, oh, we're going to, we have a, we have a midsize car. We're going to go after the, our competitors are the Subaru, or excuse me, are the Ford Taurus and the Toyota Camry. So I spent a week at the dealership. I never saw one of those cars come in. Mm -hmm. And people that were coming in, they were driving a Saab at the time. They were driving mm -hmm. Volvos, Mercedes, BMW station wagons. Those were our audience. I'm like, started looking at our non-buyer and I realized these people are, are buyers. They're coming in. Maybe something about the shopping experience is messing things up mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. not being consistent with the product. So that's when we started refining our showrooms to be more high scale to cater to that it, it met the expectations of the buyers that were coming in and it yeah. just came back to understanding who the audience was and yeah. that was kind of our disruption for the uh the local dealerships it's like this is why you need to invest in upgrading your facility and we got the research and then the results proved themselves of course of course so so let's let's then fast forward a couple of decades right or, yep. you know and um and, and talk about okay niche marketing how it was done in the 90s versus what can be achieved with niche marketing and segmentation today, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and how you transfer that knowledge and that experience and how can you actually amplify it even more with the tools today? I, I'd yes. love to get your perspective on that. So it, it, then, you know, just from a, again, going to the baseline of understanding your audience and what they're doing. So when it was at Turner, right? So the, the Turner, uh, it was a um, Turner Sports Interactive was our standalone company within the Turner brand. And mm -hmm. we had brands like NASCAR.com, PGA.com, and then we added PGA Tour.com. So it was, we were trying to own the digital uh, foundation of the sports before there was this two experience, two screen experience. We were ahead mm -hmm. at the time on that. So Scott Bailey and Michael Adams were the leaders of that group and really and Drew Reifenberger of setting this, 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 um, this, this vision of where the world is going to this two screen mm -hmm. experience. And they wanted to get mm -hmm. out ahead of it. So mm -hmm. we started, you know, the, one of the classic things that we did was 
golf. Golf starts on a Thursday and it goes through a Sunday, unless it's a live tour, which is only three days. But traditionally, it's like that Thursday, Friday, so fast. And if people are at work, they're not able to watch the sport, right? So mm -hmm. we started, um, Turn Sports Interactive started filming the par three horse, the course, the par three courses, the holes at um, various golf events, starting with the Players' Championship. And they have this, this famous island hole. And we just put the cameras on there because it's a small hole. You're, it's, you know, it's only part three. You can capture the entire field with, you know, a couple of cameras and do it on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And it was, people could watch it online. And it was this great experience. And then it's like, you know what? Let's, we also, Turner and TNT had the rights to uh, the PGA Championship. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know what? Let's take that to the next level. What if we filmed every par three horse uh, hole? during the course and then started following groups of players so if tiger's playing phil's playing you know how do you capture them? let's set up these different cameras so you can either watch a specific hole or you can start following groups mm -hmm. you can watch it live online and the, the one promise you know we had to do because tnt was going to be airing the 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 match at night was not to um take away from the ratings so we're airing it live. People at work can watch the golf mm -hmm. event. And the number one thing was don't take away from the ratings. Well, we kept plugging the 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 the, uh, the broadcast on TNT that night, and the ratings went up. You know, it's like it was you know 0.8 percent or whatever it was, maybe small, but it made a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. improved. Not only did we not take away from it, but we fed the the. Uh, um, the attention for the events uh, for the air. Yeah, so the so so the learning there was that uh, actually digital streaming was not taking away from yeah. from the audience. It was actually amplifying Absolutely. the interest and the engagement and, yeah. and the eyeballs, right? Absolutely. And we yeah. took that same thing to NASCAR. Um, Scott Dewan at the time he was heading things up for our product called Track Pass, and we created this Track Pass um race view application so you could actually watch a race so you could you know because in nascar you know you've got some 43 cars racing at a time and then you know they're only following the leaders which mm -hmm. makes sense and the guys are trailing them but your favorite driver might be in the back and you don't get to watch him but with the camera and we created this application um, with the race view you could watch sensors are all over the car so we're creating the simulation. It's a, it's a real race, but because of the broadcast rights, it couldn't be actual race footage, but we created the, it was like a video game you're watching, but it's a video game you're watching. That's real. It just happens to be a digital re, um, uh, recreation of the car, oh, an actual oh car. God, that's, wow. it, it was this incredible thing. It's like, I'm watching this car. It's got the updated paint scheme and everything. So it doesn't matter. And you can listen to the in-car audio. So you can watch, and again, it wasn't taken away from the broadcast. Of course. You can be watching the broadcast, but you're watching your favorite driver and listening in while you're watching the race, or you were on the go doing that. And people nowadays, of course, they're watching everything on their phone. But back then, that, that didn't exist. This is the first, mm -hmm. we were, Turner was so far ahead of this and the mm -hmm, two screen mm -hmm. experience and the um, taking that experience on the go. And it's really set the foundation for everything that you see right now. So just completely disrupted the industry and, and showed what um, the future where it was going. Yeah.
Yeah. So, so uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in, if we just take a step back, I'm interested yeah. in trying to discuss the parallels between all of these experiences, right? The, the Subaru experience and what, and what you've, you've seen with the, with the Golf Channel uh, and how that compares to micro segmentation and what is possible today. Yeah. In, you know, in terms of, of uh, you know, our ability through, through different tools to really, you know, and obviously through data analytics to yeah. really go for micro segments. And so that was actually one of the reasons. That, so I had, sh I shifted from B2C and media and I shifted over to B2B marketing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I liked about the B2B marketing play is really to be able to understand who you're selling to, who that audience is. Right. And then from, you know, somebody comes to your web, you're trying to sell something online, doing the basics, right? If you have a shopping cart, somebody comes to your shopping cart and that cart abandonment. Okay. So they're not there, you know, it's like, oh, I'll put a couple of things in there, but they never hit buy. Mm -hmm. Well, put the ads, you know, it's like, and then they leave your site and they go somewhere else and your ad will pop up, <laughs> you know, it's like miraculously they're your ads. And that first, when it first came out, people were like, oh, this is kind of creepy that, you know, but subconsciously it would drive people to come back to your site and finish their shopping experience. Mm -hmm. Right. So reducing cart abandonments. Uh, so those tools. So, well, so that's, that was working fantastic for, for many. And it's still obviously in use today, you know, and anywhere you go, if you, if you go to, if you happen to do that shopping experience and then mm -hmm. you go to a website and, um, you see an ad for a product, maybe you're shopping on Amazon or, or Walmart's mm -hmm. or any of these digital places, and you'll see an ads if you go to CNN or something. Right. Mm -hmm. but, so even now, even now you see it on TV, on TV. TV. absolutely. Yeah. Because, so because it's all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. But that's still taking it from the B2C perspective. That's the, you know, direct to consumer shopping. So from a B2B perspective, then if you're selling, like I'm in, the, in, in technology and then SaaS and then software sales, it's understanding if somebody comes to the website, how do you under what, what they're doing, who's coming there. And you know, the, the, the classic case was creating a value stream. You know, it's like, oh, I'll give you this great ebook teach you the top 11 things you need to understand about your value stream right and people will download it they'll give us their information it's a classic thing we're going to send you a bunch of emails to try to get you and engage with us well that it, it works but it has limitations of what you can do with it so mm -hmm. with now with the technology to be able to understand people's intent signals okay you can see people coming to your site, then they go off your site. If you're targeting, you know, you hear about the ABM marketing campaign, you know, um, uh, account-based marketing where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to target these 100 companies mm -hmm. and people within those companies. Well, you, you can't necessarily tell who's coming to your site down to an individual, but you can see based on an IP address back that it's from, uh, you know, hey, somebody from Turner is coming to our site to mm -hmm. and they looked at our um, information about our value stream management application. Well, we don't know who at Turner did that, but you know what? We can then try to look at the other people who might be in there, you know, driving some data, whether you're, um, and it's your buying intent and data from research firms. And then you can try to 
send emails out to them or again, advertise on sites that they might be going to, whether it be a Reddit, uh, you know, uh, you know, different. Or, or, or ask sites. your salesperson to call them. That would be the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. You know, you, you can say, so, listen, there's people from this company researching our products, you know. Yeah. Get on and that's phone. where you go out and it's, or, you know, you already advertise on LinkedIn or you're, or you're, you're trying to surround the, the customer because, you know, the latest research is, you know, they'll come to your site some seven to 13 times before they even want to give you their information because they've been mm -hmm. doing research. Everybody's doing research. There's so much information available online. Uh, so they're researching everything. And if it's a big enough thing, especially if it's an enterprise sales um, application, of course, they're doing all that research there or they're maybe reaching out to an analyst firm, a force or, or Gigum, um, uh, you know, Gartner, those things to be able to get a better idea. And then it's like, okay, here are the, you know, companies in the, in the Forster wave, who do I want to look at? Mm -hmm. Who do I want to try to work with? Mm -hmm. And so they're doing all that research in the background. And then it's like, okay, understanding what their pain points are, what their motivations are, and you have to get in that micro, it, it comes down to really understanding what their motivation factors are. And it takes, you have to put the time and effort to really understand, mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of people that are lazy out there. It's like, oh, you can make more money. Okay, great. How? Mm -hmm. that, that, mm -hmm. that doesn't run. But if you say something, it's like, you know what, I'm going to make your software, I'm going to make your software delivery that much more predictable. And therefore you'll be able to, you know, um, optimize your, your software development process. Then they're like, ah, that's intriguing. Now I want to learn more about that because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not the end result. It's how you get to where Yeah. It's what to. problems you solve. Right. I think, I think, yeah. uh, you know, when, when we work with our clients, you know, we, you know, one of the first things that we, that we talk to them is about, okay, what's your, who's your buyer persona, right? Uh, maybe you have a few of them. And then what challenges are they trying to solve? What pain points do they have in their in the process? And uh, um, how are they going about them just right now? Right? And then what's the customer journey that they follow to try to find solutions for those problems? Right? So then when you're presenting your, your if you understand what their pain points are and what their challenges are, then you th then you can try to, to portray your solution as a solution to that pain and to that problem. Right. And that's that's really yeah. what matters. And that's really what intrigues and then takes, you know, takes them to to want to have a conversation with uh, uh, with, you know, with with you. Right. With, you know, with you solution provider. So it's super, super important to understand to understand that. Right. That's that's kind of like what I'm getting from 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 what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and the other interesting thing is, you know, for being in the company and understand what the pain points are. You're still looking at it from a, a a specific viewpoint from a supplier to a buyer. Mm -hmm. um, one of the key things, one of the reasons why I really like working with um, agencies, right? Agencies bring in a third party point of view mm -hmm. and to be able to do do a lot of the research to be able to either validate kind of what you're coming up with, but providing a different point of view. Because mm -hmm. too many times you're, you know, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. It's like, why wouldn't somebody want my product? It's the best product ever. And it's like, you got a pain point. My product's got to, you know, does this, does that. It's so much better. So if you have a great agency partner to be able to like, okay, but if you consider this, this is, this is truly the, how the competitor, 
you know, how people view you. And sometimes that that hard truth needs to come from somebody on the outside, such as yourself. To be, able, I'm sure you have some great stories where you've had to tell your clients, like, "Well, it's not as rosy as you think." Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'd no, be curious I, I, from I, your I, ends what you've had to do in that regard. Yeah. Well, well, in many cases, you know, what happens is that the when we work with clients, we have clients that have great products, but they just talk about themselves, right? It's all about me, 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 and their yeah. website is all about me, 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 and their sales. It's about we are the best and we are the fastest and we are the when in reality they have a great product but they haven't positioned it correctly to their audiences right so yeah. when, when when we understand their buyer personas and we then actually talk about what problems a product or service solves to yeah. the buyer personas then that's when we start getting the right traction right yeah. and sometimes and 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 sometimes it's not about the quality of the product or, or what they do in many cases it, it, you know it has all of the features that they believe but they but people don't care about the best product they care about the problems right and about the problems yeah. that they need to solve so so as long as you're you're keeping that communication about your potential customer Right, and you're focusing on them. I think you're you've got a better chance, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that they, that we see. Listen, uh, I'm I'm interested in jumping onto your experience with the point of sale software because when we were talking yeah. about the about the uh, your experience, um, you moved to at some point to a company that they work with big brands like Disney and Universal, mm -hmm. and they, that they really transformed the user experience there. So I'd love you to tell the audience a little bit more about that experience and how yeah. it's transformed. <laughs> then you know the 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 the, the park industry, yes, the events industry. So it, it's funny. It's like you know, previously we weren't allowed to tell the name of we couldn't say Disney because like mm -hmm. no 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 this is our product or, or Universal no no this is our product even though you know Omnico had developed it but unfortunately Omnico went out of business in uh in um it, over the summer so now I'm mm -hmm. free to talk about it they didn't necessarily go out of business another company purchased their IP you mm -hmm. know all, all the rights from that but they were again kind of ahead of the game now um, so they, you know, if, you, if anybody's taken a, a trip to a big park and it's like, especially the water parks is probably the best example at Universal Studios, it's, you get a wristband, right? Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, before you get to, it's, it's the customer journey. So yes, the point of sale system is a, is a critical piece of it, but it's the whole interconnected system. And it's mm -hmm. building that, that customer experience. So, you know, you're planning that trip because you know, this Universal and uh, Disney, they're not necessarily inexpensive vacations, right? So you yeah. plan ahead for those things. So it's like, okay, you get your family. And it's like, okay, we're going to go to Universal Studios, right? And we're going to hit all these different parks and islands of adventure, what have you. I was like, oh, kids, we leave in three weeks. We just got our magic bands. It's like, yeah. So you're ready. The kids are probably wearing the bands before they, you know, get to the park, get to the park. They don't need to check in. They just tap the wristband, mm -hmm. bink, into the park they go. So right away, the experience is better. It's like, you know, so maybe they check in the hotel and it's like, everything's all ready. But when they get into the park, right away, it's like, especially in a water park, they want to, you, know, you set up your shot, your, your area, and off you go. Want to ride, get into a ride, bink, you tap your wristband. There's no 
card. There's no thing. This is like, if you're going to Raging Rapids or one of these things, it's like, you're going to lose it. And certainly don't want to bring your phone out one of those things, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a wristband, you're good to go and be able to, to um, I think it was a wiki wiki or wacky, uh, tiki tiki was, was their ride, uh, mm -hmm. especially that they had it. But it also, it's adding payments to it. So it's not just the ticketing aspect of it, but the t all the information you're collecting, okay? And then you go to the restaurant. It's like, well, I didn't bring my wallet and have my phone, but I'm hungry. It's like, great, just tap your wristband. Yeah, I and everything's all mm -hmm. connected. So from a customer perspective, wow, this is great. Everything's all, my life is easy at the park. Everything's fantastic. All I have to do is just have a good time. Meanwhile, in the background, right, is that track, it's a tracking device. And it's, mm -hmm. it has your payment program. It's said, you know, what, you know, what your package is that you're, you're, if you're on a meal plan, it's like, oh, every meal is free or, you know, yeah, you get lunch for free or you know, free, everything's prepaid. <laughs> but if you're not giving cash or you're using a credit card, yeah. it feels like it's free, right? Yeah. And of course you spend more, but you track people throughout the park and what's going on. Um, but one of the other things is it helps park management as well and with, because you're collecting real-time information so for instance like if somebody does disney world and i'll mention disney world because i think people can visualize a park easier right mm -hmm. and so you go in there let, let's say your whole family's in tomorrowland and it's lunchtime everybody's getting hungry and it's like you know there's limited number of restaurants on area and it's like if anybody's got kids that are hungry it's like when they get hungry you got to feed them right there and then <laughs> or maybe you know everybody gets hangry well, if everybody's in Tomorrowland, that's a, it, it's crowded. There's a long line. There's a long wait for food. But perhaps in the other part of the park, maybe in, in uh, Adventureland, there's less people. So, you know, the park manager can look at it. It's like, how do we get people from Tomorrowland over to Adventureland? Because if they went over here, the, there's less crowds over here. So they'll have a better experience because they don't have to wait in line. Our staff won't be as overwhelmed over here and just stressed out if people move over to a different area they'll be able to provide happier service with better uh, smiles on their faces uh, so how do you do that well if you can tap people give them uh, incentives like hey come over to tomorrowland there's less there's less lines there mm -hmm. and it's like oh you know what it's like faster service hey kids let's get up and go over there so you can you're you're incentivizing people to go over there if that doesn't work, then you can also say, you know what, get the staff to move over here because there's a lot of people over here. So you can get more weight staff to go into these areas, maybe bring food or, or into that area to help alleviate the pressure. But everything comes back to that digital, just digital, real time data that's being collected with people where they are, whether it's in their phones or on a wristband, to be able to just manage the whole the whole experience that much better. Yeah, and and what it's interesting about that technology is that it can all be automated, right? So you can automate some of those incentives to yeah. actually either manage staff to move, uh, you know, to areas that are high traffic, or actually incentivize people to go to areas where there's not as much. Mm -hmm. um, people so yeah. so you know all of that could be automated in the background so it's happening it's happening seamlessly right and now you have all of this data that, that allows you to provide a much better customer experience absolutely and it, you know we, we call those like it, the triggers right and then you can put a lot of um if then statements built into the software so mm -hmm. um, one example would be a rain thing if rain right or you know if it, based on the weather application you're you're gathering information from a weather app if this 
then trigger this, meaning, oh, get your raincoat now or get, you know, get, get a poncho. They won't give you 10% off right now, or, or you don't have to get the weather is incentive enough, right? You don't mm-hmm. need to give them a, uh, a discount, but here's where you can go to get the latest thing. So you're driving yeah. purchase. Um, but the other thing is towards, you know, if you recognize like, okay, people have been at the park for five hours, they've got kids under 12 and data shows that kids tend to get really tired and they're going to want to leave the park. So trigger a thing of, Hey, if you go to the gift shop, on your way out, flash this coupon, you'll get 20% off of, you know, a Mickey Mouse doll or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, maybe they're walking out. It's like, get that. It's like, well, sure, why not? You know, mm-hmm. it's just like prompting people. And it doesn't have to, you know, again, it's it's real time, but it's based on data that they're constantly collecting to trigger yeah. alerts. Yeah. Um, so so I'm I'm interested in, in, in what the future of this. Right, where, you know, where is it, you know where is it, uh, future applications for this type of technology? Where is this going? It, you know, it when you think about the the, the whole AI ML, right? Well, uh, and what uh, is uh, what those ML? Oh, sorry, for? artificial intelligence and machine learning. Machine learning, okay, okay. So they kind of work hand in hand, and some people get scared about AI and that artificial intelligence. Like, well, artificial intelligence needs data to make decisions. The more data it has, the more it can start doing trends. And you think about like just the voice dictation and then a Siri or, you know, I don't want to say the other one because I have a unit right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but how it, it starts to learn and it's grabbing everybody's and they're recognizing terms and predictive analytics and when you're typing things. Well, mm-hmm. the day from a marketing perspective or, or company perspective, all these things are making you smarter. So you can actually start to do more, but like, you know, and how to make it better. It's like, you know, um, at connect all, for instance, are we're collecting all this data with software development. It's like, Oh, what does software development have to do with anything? Right. So, but it's just like, if you're collecting trends, I'm like, well, here are all the gaps in something you can just trigger this, this and that, but you can't just set it and forget it. You mm-hmm. want to be able to trigger things that are, or automate things that are every day. But you also want to make never forget about that human aspect of it. How do you make any tools should help make the human people that uh, human people make people <laughs> make it more efficient and better for people? They're tools mm-hmm. that will help people. So rather than constantly have to monitor things, if things popped up that were just ad, uh, anomalies, and it's like, hey, red flag, take a look at this. It's like. So while you're doing all that work, it's like, oh, yes, I need to take a deeper look at this and try to make some changes in, the, uh, you know, whether it's software developments or um, or just anything in, in the, I mean, think about just the uh, the ecosystem of delivery, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I, I was working with in the IoT space and all the data that all the sensors we have can monitor everything. So if it's a food truck that's, bringing up food from Mexico and then it's refrigerated, right? Well, mm-hmm. if all of a sudden that food truck breaks down, what do you do? And it's like, it could be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of, of produce that's in there. It's like, okay, it can automatically, if, if there are sensors that say, oop, your tire's going flat or the air, the pressure in the, in the, um, 
I don't know if car parts that well, but mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you're something's going wrong. Let's say the air, the, the, uh, um, the air conditioning unit and the refrigeration unit is going bad. It's like, and the food's going to get bad. You need to get this service. Well, mm-hmm. the driver's just driving. He's not understanding what's going on. Right. Uh, something goes out and it's like, Hey, you're about to have failure. There's a place you can get it fixed. That's a hundred miles away. We've made a scheduled appointment based on your trajectory there. You should get there at one o'clock. They can get mm-hmm. you, uh, it, they'll get this thing fixed, have you back on the road by four o'clock with only a three hour delay. And you'll get to your destination a little bit later, or we've, we're now going to reroute you based on traffic patterns. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just all this information, just make, you know, data, it can be overwhelming, but if you can just capture it and utilize it and, and everything comes back to what do you want it to do? You have to have a vision for mm-hmm. what you want to take something to. And that that's the key thing is there's plenty of applications, plenty of data, uh, and at your fingertips, you just, you can get lost in it trying to figure it out, or you can have a vision of where you want to take things and then look for the solutions to get that done. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a great point of view. That's very insightful. You know, it's, uh, you know, we have so much access to data now that uh, you you really need to know what you want it to do and you you need to have that vision i think that's a great i think that's a great uh, yeah. way of looking at it so any any anything um, that uh, you think is going to happen you know uh, what what do you see coming in the next couple of years kind of like not not that far away but in the next couple of years yeah. what, what you, what's hot it, it it really is the 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 whole artificial intelligence machine learning that is going to end the sensors, you know, IOT and information of the uh, you know, internet of things. It's just, mm-hmm. there's sensors for everything, be mm-hmm. able to recognize it. And if it's used in the right way, I'm like, remember that movie minority report, right? Yeah. Where Tom Cruise is going, it's like, hi. And he had somebody else's eyes in there. It wasn't even, it's like, oh, I see you've, you know, we've got a special on those jeans that you like to wear. Come on in, you know, to the gap or whatever the, the store mm-hmm. was at the time. It's like, well, that ready the capabilities there and it's just mm-hmm. but how do you release it in a way that's not that's opt-in as opposed to creepy yeah <laughs> is, yeah is yeah. a thing yeah. and it's just using it the the best company the most successful companies whether it's b2c or b2b is really going to be based on doing it with a vision and mm-hmm. if you're thinking with the end user in mind whether that's a customer or, or just being ethical in how you use it and it's like, you know, if you think about it, it's like, would I want this, would I want somebody to track me without my knowing it, or am I willing to give up data in exchange for something, right? Yeah. Just being more overt. And I think there's a, so much movement on that front of just being overt about things instead of being sneaky. And mm-hmm. I think people mm-hmm. will appreciate that. And the most successful brands will succeed because of that. Because of that, because they're yeah. they're transparent, they're being transparent. transparency. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be key. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Norman, this has been fun. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you spending some time with us and and talking to us about your experience and talking to us about all of these um, insights into what's coming up. Uh, you know, in the next couple yeah. of years, I really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to having you in a in another episode at some point. Um, be my pleasure. This has been fantastic. Well, excellent. Thank you, everyone, and see you see you in our next episode. Bye bye.